You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Bloodhounds Part 2. Enjoy. Two weeks ago, we started a message called Bloodhounds. And I don't think we're done yet. So we're going to continue with Bloodhounds today and finish it next Sunday. And two Sundays from now, we'll have you Sunday, okay? Let's get back to Bloodhounds. It's been a couple weeks, so let's review a little bit. Anybody own a bloodhound in here? No? So I, I like learning about bloodhounds. I've never owned one, but I, I, I like dogs a lot. And bloodhounds are, are kind of a, a unique dog. They're called scent hounds. Do you remember that? They're different than sight hounds. Scent hounds can find what they're looking for without seeing it, unlike sight hounds. Bloodhounds are born with this strong, tenacious instinct to find what they're looking for, even though they can't see it. And we learned a couple of weeks ago that every human being is born with a divinely implanted desire to know the one who made them even though he is unseen. We talked about some traits of bloodhounds. The biggest one that we mentioned is hunting by scent, not by sight. And we know in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, somewhere around verse 11, it says we walk by faith, not by sight, Right? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. So we live by faith, not by what we see. In fact, this, this faith that the Bible teaches, religion doesn't teach it, but the Bible does. I'm talking about real faith, being 100% sure. You know, you can be 100% sure of who God is and his will for your life. 100%. Anything less than 100% is not faith according to the Bible. Faith is being sure, not reasonably convinced, but sure, certain. Sure and certain. If you'll spend time with the Holy Spirit, not with man's religion, with the Holy Spirit in the privacy of your life, He'll make you sure. 100% sure of who you are and all that Christ has done for you. So every human being is actually given faith when they're made. Religion doesn't know how to handle this. Religion turns it into a work, something you have to try and work to obtain, but that's not the way we're made. Faith is deposited inside of you. However, what you have faith in is up to you. The faith that's inside of you is activated by what you give your attention to. Doesn't matter what it is. Whatever you choose to focus on in your daily life will activate this faith inside of you. That can be good or bad, depending on what you're giving your attention to. It's God's desire that we would give Him our full attention so that our faith would be in who He is and what He's done for us. Bloodhounds don't need to be as fast as sighthounds. Because sighthounds, if they can't see it, they can't find it. So bloodhounds don't need to be as fast. They have an endurance built in that enables them to track what they're looking for, even over long distances and rough terrain. Faith is like that. 
When you're spending time with the Holy Spirit, when you're removing wrong thinking from your mind, man's religious philosophies, and you're putting the words of Christ in there, you'll begin to track God. You'll begin to follow Him and know His leading in your life with 100% certainty. And this is a little risky now. Some people say, you shouldn't talk like that. No one can be 100% certain of God. Oh, yeah. It's what faith is. This is. This is not an extreme thing I'm sharing with you. If you'll study, see, most people know that term faith as some kind of general religious term that means you, you know, I fondly think of occasionally or I, I acknowledge that it's there. That's not Bible faith. We want to let the Bible define what we think, right? Not our religious experience. So I like this endurance because faith and endurance go together. Or faith and patience. Let's put up Hebrews 6.12. You're still awake, right? Much too early to go to sleep, right? We're wide awake. We're listening to the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We're not in a hurry. We haven't come to get a little quick religious homily and off we go doing our religious duty. I don't have any religious duty. Isn't that wonderful? I just have a heavenly father who loves me and I, I'm running after him with everything we've got, I've got, right? Hebrews 6.12. Now, listen, here's a wonderful definition of faith in the Amplified Translation. I love, let's let the Bible define faith for us. In order that you may not grow disinterested and become spiritual sluggards, but imitators, behaving as do those who through faith, what is faith? The leaning of your entire personality on God. That's huge, isn't it? If I'm not leaning my entire personality on Him, I'm not in faith. I can feel that right now. This is the people's thinking. It's like, well, I have faith. Listen, it's your whole person. You can't just lean your hand on God. Faith involves 100% of you. It's the leaning of your whole personality, your whole person, spirit, soul, and body on him. And look what it says. On God in Christ in absolute. Love the Bible. It breaks bondages if you'll just receive it. In absolute trust. Sounds like Hebrews 11.1, 1, being sure and certain. In absolute, that's 100% trust and confidence in my ability to get this done. Oh, wait a minute. Let me read that again. No, it's not what it says. In His power, so I'm leaning my entire personality on Him, in absolute trust and confidence in His Power, His wisdom, His goodness. You can't do this without giving Him your attention. Can't do it. And by practice of patient endurance are, uh, and waiting are now inheriting the promises, now experiencing what God provided for them. So every human being has this divinely implanted uh, sense, desire to know the one who made them. But we have to choose to give the one who made us our attention. Have you ever talked to someone and they weren't giving you their attention? And you realize they didn't hear one thing you just said. We've all done that at some point, right? We've all been on both sides of that, right? 
God is talking to you right now. He's talking every day. If you'll give him your attention, you'll hear him. He's alive. He can't die. He's perfect. He can't change. And he has the answers you've been seeking. See, all of us are looking for this true knowledge of God. The true knowledge of the one who made us. Well, just as smell is the sense we use to track or detect a scent, faith is the sense we use to experience God. But religion can't teach you faith. Religion will teach you self-effort, self-evaluation, self-programs, self-tradition. Faith comes from knowing him personally. Are you ready? It takes no, zero faith to know that God exists. It takes zero faith to know that God exists. It's obvious. Nothing could be more obvious than the existence of God. You're going to see how you've been duped by the enemy. You will find nowhere in the scriptures where God tries to prove that he exists. In fact, Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen so that men are without excuse. I'll say it again. It takes zero faith to know that God exists. It takes zero faith to know that I have shoes on. For me, you might not know because you can't see it. But I know them because I put them on. I'm not trying to believe I have shoes on. I know it. You are the best evidence of God's existence. Just look at yourself. Look at us the way we're made. There is no other design in creation like this. Like a human being. Man will never be able to fully understand this. Only God could do this. You are made in the image of God. I had the opportunity to travel to Paris years ago. And I was standing outside of the famous art museum, the Louvre. And uh, do you know what, fa- well, there's a lot of famous paintings, but one of the most famous paintings is, is kept there. Do you know what it is? The Mona Lisa. Yeah. Someone sing it for me. Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa. That's all I know. But, you know, a lot of people travel from all over the world to see this painting. And you can sit and stand and just stare at that thing for hours. And people will be talking about it and asking questions. But I will guarantee you this. No person has ever stood before the Mona Lisa and asked this question. Did an artist paint that? Did someone do that? Did an artist make that piece of artwork? What if someone would, would be standing in front of the Mona Lisa and say, did, did an artist make that, that piece of artwork? Th- there would be an issue with their sanity, wouldn't there be? Why would they not ask that question? There's never been a piece of artwork without an artist. And there never will be. Never. You blow the Mona Lisa away. It takes zero faith to know that God exists. 
However, what do we need faith for? To know his nature. That's what faith is for. To know the nature and the will of God. Why does it take faith to know his nature? Because we're living in a fallen world. And Satan is the God of this world. And he's doing everything he can to confuse us, to steal from us, to kill and destroy us. Which is why you can never, ever base what you believe about God on what has or has not happened in your life or in anyone else's life. There's only one individual you can look to to accurately determine the will of God. That's the person of Christ in his earthly ministry in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Here's where faith comes into play because we're living in the midst of anti-God environment. There are, I don't know how many things a day going on the world that are completely contrary to the will of God. Sickness, disease, poverty, crime, you name it. Those are not his will. They are contrary to who he is. He has not purposed for them to happen in the world. Satan is the God of this world. Jesus taught us that. Paul taught us that. The scriptures teach us that. Yet many Christians have been duped, and they think Christianity is about trying to prove God's existence. I would never get into a debate about me having shoes on today. I just keep moving. If someone wants to debate that, that's up to them. But I've got life to live. I I enjoy apologetics. And it's good to be able to create sound premises and arguments and, and, and reason. That's good. But what we should be talking about is his nature. Who he is. That's where the debate is. Because there's a lot of confusion going on. And unfortunately, a lot of it's coming from pulpits. Telling people that God put a sickness on them to teach them something. Never has he and he never will. They didn't get that from Jesus. They got that from their self-evaluation of the world around them. Are you still awake? So Jesus came into the earth and made the nature and will of the Father crystal clear. Perfect resolution. No deviance. No pixelization between the ministry of Jesus and the will of the Father. None. In fact, he stated very clearly in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. However, in direct contrast, he said, I have come that you might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows more and better life than you've ever dreamed of. You study just that verse. It'll blow your mind. You get into the the wording of it. It's this this super abundant, blow your mind kind of life. And I, I don't know how many translations I've read of that. Probably 20 or 30. It's like this word we quite can't put in English. It's the super abundant, only God could do quality of life. That's what Christ came to give you. But it doesn't happen automatically. You have to give him, not religion, not your tradition, not your past, not the media. You have to give him your attention. And you fight for that. Because there are, there are spirits of darkness pulling at your attention. And they're smart. Did you catch that? That's my New England accent. Smart. Smart. They, they know what bait you'll go for. See, if you're not giving God your attention... 
there are distractions that the enemy will put in your life, you'll think they're opportunities. Woo! You can't live this life outside of relationship with him. I look at the history of Christianity in America, and that's a very loose term. And I'm thankful for what we have in this nation and, and a, a, anyone who's done anything to bring some kind of light to a person's life that, that God loves them and who Christ is. But the reality is there's so much legalism and ignorance of God's nature. And what so many know as Christianity is really legalism. It's really man's philosophy with a Christian label on it. We don't serve a statue. We don't have five steps, ten steps. We serve a living, breathing God who's living on the inside of us, who speaks to us, and we talk to him. He talks to us. Do you know there are Christians today who would get mad at me for saying that? That God actually speaks to He speaks to me every day. Every day, without fail. And I find that every time he does, it's like he's been waiting for me to hear what he just said. It's like I haven't, you know, I should have given my attention two hours ago. He, it's like he's bursting on the inside for you to know how good he is. So faith to know his nature. In fact, Matthew chapter 8, verse 3. You don't have to put it up there. We're going to keep moving here. You'll see a, a, a man who was stricken with the disease of leprosy. We don't know what stage it was in, but leprosy, you know, is a type of disease that eats away at your body. He may have come to, to Jesus with, with par parts of his body missing. His face may have been partly eaten away. We don't know. But he said something to Jesus that's very revealing. He said, if you're willing. In other words, I don't know your nature. I don't know what your nature's like, but you can heal me if you have a nature to do so. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that, asked that same question by believers, and even taught and written in church doctrine that we don't know if it's God's will to heal us. How could that man not know the nature of Jesus? He didn't have a relationship with him. He heard about him. He heard he was healing people. So he wanted to come to him and just kind of roll the dice. You know, hopefully he'll maybe decide to heal me. What was Jesus' response to him? Do you remember? He rolled the dice, didn't he? He carried some dice around with him. And he rolled it and said, oh, you got a seven. You're in luck, right? It's your lucky day. Okay, I'll heal you. No, in fact, he reached out his hand and touched his diseased body. That was not allowed. See, before Jesus came, uh, 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 if someone touched someone who was diseased, their body got infected. But because of Jesus, we touch someone who's diseased, their body gets healed. He turned it back around, didn't he? He had no fear. He reached out and touched this, uh, this banned man from society, and he said, of course, I'm willing. It's my nature. Be clean. Ha has he changed? I mean, come on, it was a long time ago. Maybe he was in a good mood. Huh? Maybe that was like a distant cousin or something. Maybe he slipped him a, you know, 100 bucks. I, I don't know. Jesus, you know. That's his nature. And he's the same today. And this should be proclaimed from every pulpit that he's the same today. He's Because, see, if you don't hear messages like this, you can't lean your entire personality on him because you're not sure is he the same. Well, maybe I messed up too much. Maybe I've done too many wrong things. Maybe this is something that's not covered. Maybe this is a new type of disease that they don't know about. How can I know that God, God provided healing for this? Give him your full attention. 
In the curse, and in Deuteronomy, it talks about uh, the blessings and the curse, and it talks about diseases that aren't even known or named. You're covered in him. You're covered. Completely covered. This will change the way you live when you start hearing messages like this. And studying Jesus. You'll be like a bloodhound. And every time I, I get in the Word and I study the nature of Jesus, I, I start baying like a bloodhound. The bloodhound had just found the coon in the tree. It's like, woo, he found it. This is what I've been smelling and sniffing and going after. It's the one who made me. It's Jesus. And this is his nature. It's my bloodhound impression. <laughs> so we come to know the nature of the one who made us, not by looking around the world and listening to the news and considering what we've been through and what our family might say or our church might say. We come to know the nature of the one who made us by looking at Christ, who he is, what he's done for us, and those are the three things we focus on in Highway Church. That is the foundation of our relationship with him, who he is, what he's done for us, and who we are in him. You'll find that covers everything. It's a comprehensive focus. Now, this scent of God, God has a scent. When we were on the Isle of Capri, they make perfume there. A beautiful island. I don't know what you call a place that makes, a, makes perfume. A perfumery? What do you call it? I don't know. But anyway, we went to one of those places. And just the air was full of beautiful scents. When you come to know him, the aroma he emanates is beautiful. The aroma of God will heal your body. You ever heard of aromatherapy? The sweet aroma of Christ in Corinthians? So this aroma of God is precious. And boy, some of the perfumes, I mean, you could spend thousands of dollars on a little bottle of perfume. Because why? It's precious. It's very valuable. When you value the presence of God and exalt his presence and value it more than anything else in your life, you'll begin to smell his scent. There's nothing passive about knowing him. There's no, there's no halfway. He's not, a frame, he's not something we reference uh, for, moral, for a moral compass. He's our everything. He's the center and he's the, the outer rim and everything in between. He's the reason we get up in the morning. He's the reason we have breakfast and we do the things we do during the day. He's the reason we go to sleep at night. He's the reason we're here now on a nice summer day in New England, sitting in a warehouse being ministered to by His Spirit and His Word because we value Him more than anything. Don't sell yourself short. Treasure Him. Treasure him more than any uh, autobiography or, or document, historical document. Treasure him and get to know him. Read his word. Eat him, al eat him alive. Ah! I've never said that before. Eat him alive. Eat Jesus alive. I like just freaking you out by the things I say. But that's what we do. Isn't that what he said? Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. What is he? Is he gory? No. He's saying, I want you to have all of me inside and out. I've got all, I want you to experience all that I am. Give me all that you are so you can have all that I am. Lean your whole person on me. Taste and see how much I love you. Taste and see. 
so we're, 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 we're like bloodhounds for Jesus, right? We're like scent hounds, and the scent we're on is a scent of Christ. So we look at Jesus in the Scriptures, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. That's the clearest place to see the will of God. But there are other places in the Scriptures. Another one are the promises of God. Let's go to 2 Peter 1. You're still awake. Come on. This is not too painful, is it? Are you letting the Holy Spirit get in and, pr- and change and shift and arrange and rearrange? Come on, do it, Holy Spirit. We give you every thought we've ever thought. We give you every desire we've ever desired. We give you everything. We're yours. You're our God. You're the one who fashioned us in our mother's womb. And we give our whole person to you. We lean on you in absolute trust and confidence because no one loves us like you do. No one knows what you know about us. No one can do what you've done for us. No one has what you have for us. No one can lead us like you can lead us. Man, I love them. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. God's riches at Christ's expense, grace. And irene in the Greek, wholeness. Remember, I forgot to mention this at the beginning. If you could please remove your religious goggles when you come to Highway Church and your religious headphones. Just leave them outside. We have a receptacle for them. Because you'll find that the scriptures have been religified. So people read right through grace and peace. Grace and peace, aren't those nice? Little things we put on greeting cards to kind of brighten our day a little bit. That's not what they are. Grace is all that God provided for you through his son. Healing, wholeness, strength, provision, God's riches at Christ's expense. So you need to let the Bible change your thinking. What's peace? Oh, peace is just a gentle breeze and a nice day. No, peace in Iran, peace is wholeness. Wholeness. You being whole. Both shoulders, both ears, both eyes, both knees, hips, spine, brain, heart, lungs, muscles, tendons, wholeness. God's riches at Christ's expense. Wholeness be multiplied. What? Be multiplied. Can you see like the, the passion of God in his word for you to experience him? Be multiplied to you how? In the knowledge of his nature. The knowledge of his nature. Where do we find that knowledge? Well, let's keep reading. Seeing that his divine power keeps things back from us so that we'll learn humility. Does your translation say that? Why do ministers teach that? That's not the nature of your father. He wants to exalt you. Humility is knowing who he is and who you are in him. Humility is casting every anxiety upon him. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything. Are you telling me that God held nothing back from you or me? Yes. And he never will. He's not afraid of anything. He's not afraid of you messing up. He can handle it. Stop being afraid of messing up. God can handle it. Stop being afraid of going in the wrong direction or or making a mistake. God can handle your mistakes. He's not worried about it. He's not worried about it. So don't you do it either. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. Boy, is God extreme, huh? He's complete and he's absolute, isn't he? I need a God like that. I can't take a a 50% God. I I just can't live that way. I need a God who's 100% God. 
everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of his nature. So there's false knowledge out there, right? What's the safeguard to keep us from false knowledge? Better yet, who? The person of Christ, right? Where do we find writings on the person of Christ? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and L. Throughout the scriptures, don't misunderstand me, but I'm talking about when he's in the flesh, ministering directly to man, interacting in the flesh is what I'm talking about. You'll find Jesus in every book of the Bible. But I emphasize the Gospels and Acts because he's in the flesh right there. Very clear. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he may someday, if he's in a good mood, toss us a few treats because we're good bloodhounds. No, for by these he has granted, he has done it. He has granted to us everything pertaining to life. His precious and magnificent promises. Why would he do something like that? So that by them you would experience him. That you'd become a partaker of whose nature? His nature. So the promises of God are premium to us. They are our most precious commodity in this world. Because God's heart, will, and nature are revealed in his promises. So we're reading through the scriptures. Not only do we study the person of Christ, but anytime God makes a promise, we're on it like a bloodhound. And we grab a hold of that thing, and we know that it says, uh, is it 2 Corinthians 1.20? For no matter how many promises God has made... I don't remember the chapter and verse. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are what? Yes, yes and amen in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken, the so be it, his promises be done in my life uh, for the glory of God. Right? So we look at the person of Jesus as bloodhounds, and we look for the promises of God in his word. Because as we let the promises become the foundation of our thinking and, and the inspiration of our dreaming and desires, we begin to experience his nature. If you don't know the promises of God, you can't experience the nature of God. It's not going to happen because you go to church every week. It's not going to happen because you read the Bible or because you pray. You've got to know what he's promised you. You've got to know what he spelled out for you in his word. Not because I said it or, or someone else said it, because you're reading it with your own peepers and you're putting it in your own mind because you know it's from his own mouth. We can't go through life in a daze, half living. We, we're after him. We're fully engaged with who he is and what he's promised us. Our whole future is based on it. We're not interested in the American dream. We're interested in the Father's dream. It's much better. Love America. Thank God for America. That we have the freedom to do what we're doing. But the American dream falls way short of the Father's dream. It does. He's got more than a picket fence and a house for you. He's got a destiny that will light you up. That will turn things on in you you didn't even know you had. There's some pistons inside of you that need to start working. He'll activate your pistons. He'll fire them up. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Isn't it something? The very beginning of the New Testament church began with this which sign that Jesus in Mark 16 says, and these signs will follow those who believe. This is Jesus talking. This is Mark's uh, recording of Jesus' commission. He said, go into all the world and preach the good news to every creature. And he wasn't done yet. And he said, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. We do that, Right? If you follow him and you'll believe him, you'll find yourself in that position. Because you're the answer for someone's life. We cast out demons. We don't, we don't analyze them. 
We don't have conversations with them. We, ad- we rebuke them and cast them out. Do you know how to recognize demons? Spend time with the Holy Spirit, and you will. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. This is Jesus talking. He's the first person to mention it in the New Testament. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll pick up snakes with their hands, and if they drink anything deadly, it will not hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. He's, he's fire, isn't he? He's fire. And what was the first of all those signs? What was the very first sign to show up on the birth of the church in Acts? Speaking in tongues. How so many have been duped and are not experiencing the fire of heaven in their daily life. Don't you let it happen to you. You speak in tongues. Paul didn't forbid it. In fact, if you'll read his writing, at his conclusion, he said, do not forbid speaking in tongues. What he was talking about, he said, don't speak to each other in tongues. Don't give messages to each other in tongues. That's not going to make any sense. Right? I've got to speak in a language you understand. But if you'll keep reading, he said, don't forbid speaking in tongues. It's a vital part of our relationship. And if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking tongues, get it today. You're not less of a Christian. It's not a, this is not a hierarchy. It's about having all that he has. Jesus told his disciples, don't go anywhere until you get this. And, and, and what's happened in a lot of places in this nation, uh, through religious tradition, they've said, well, that's, that's not for today. That was God somehow wanted to kickstart the church, so he gave it to the early generation. Where did they get that from? self-evaluation of their life and others. So they come up with their little tracks and their little checklists and go knocking on doors. Jesus didn't teach us to do that. He didn't say you'll go out witnessing. He said you'll be living representatives of my nature. You'll be like me when you receive the Holy Spirit. I don't, I don't encourage anyone to go out witnessing. Be like him. Everywhere you go, they'll see me and you. Be witnesses. What do we do going around being witnesses? Do we have a little chart so we can come back and say, oh, I had 23 people pray the sinner's prayer. What does that mean? Really, what does that really mean? We live life and interact with people with God inside of us. No paper or pencil needed. And as the Holy Spirit leads us, if we're in Shaw's, we speak to someone. Divinely led. And if you'll let the Holy Spirit, he'll give you words of knowledge about people. He'll speak to you about someone's situation, and you'll walk up to someone who's, who's checking out watermelons in Shaw's, and you'll say, you know, were you, did, did you get a phone call last night that really has you stressed and and I just want you to know that Lord put it on my heart to let you know that, that he loves you and he can take care of it. And there, there are the gifts of the Spirit. That's in the boil. Boy, I didn't even want to go into any of this. That's been turned into a, like a religious doctrine. Gifts means manifestations. In other words, God's nature revealed in us. So all of those things, words of knowledge and healing, those are just manifestations of his presence as we're being witnesses. And you have all of that. You have the Holy Spirit in you, so you have all of, all of his presence, all of his gifts and manifestations inside of you. Just let him live through you and you'll see him. So we look at the person of Jesus. See, this is, this, is what, this is what will change your life. Let me do you a favor. Take your religious tradition. Yeah. And give your full attention to the person of Jesus. I was shocked when I did this at the age of 19. And all the deep religious tradition I was told, and I read the, the words of Christ, I thought, wow. Why didn't they tell me this? And then I was at a university with 18,000 students, nine different Christian groups on campus, and I thought everyone believed what Jesus said. And I'd go to these different groups, and I found them arguing over what, 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 what's for us today and what's not. And I was experiencing the very things they said are not for us today. 
And I thought, who told them that? Where did they, they get that from? Not from Jesus. You have to be alert, and you have to be like a bloodhound on Jesus. Because there will be ideas and philosophies presented to you daily that will lead you away from the fullness of the life he has for you. And if you're not zeroed in on him, you're going to miss it. There's nothing passive about our relationship with him. We are fire on fire. We are after him with everything we've got. We want him more than we want H2O in the air that we breathe. How you doing, okay? Is this too wild? He's so good. You know, it's interesting as we worship, and uh, we're just going to keep flowing here. Over the years, we come and we worship, and there are some say, well, my personality, I'm just not loud. I have never met anyone like that when I have been with them in a different setting, either at a ball game or a concert. That same person who said they're not loud in church, it's like, what happened? When their favorite player just makes a great play or their favorite band's on stage. All of a sudden, they're loud now. See how the enemy dupes you? Every one of us has a shout in us. Every one of us. And the more you smell him, the more you'll shout. Come on, smell God, why don't you? Both nostrils, just breathe him in and say, thank you, Father. You love me perfectly, and I worship you. Your shout, your shout foils the devil's schemes. That's why they say, well, no, don't do that in church now. Let's just be sophisticated. Let's not be. There's a, there's a shout in you that will heal your body. What is a shout anyway? That's a decision to bring something from the inside of me and release it in the atmosphere. That's what it is. I'm releasing victory in the atmosphere when I praise him. Isn't that what happened in Chronicles 20? Right? They put the praisers in the front, and it says, as they sang and as they praised, the Lord set ambushes against them. Guess what? That's not out of date. That's still needed today. And when you understand that, you'll come to church ready to worship and praise Him, and you won't be looking around saying, do I look foolish? Because there are some ambushes the Lord wants to set against the enemies in your life. The devil has schemes against you, and your praise will cause ambushes to be released against his schemes. People don't understand what praise is about. So as bloodhounds, we're focused on the person of Christ, as written in the Gospels and Acts. We're focused on the promises of God. And then finally today, we're focused on the names of God. We'll see how far we can get. We'll finish this next week. We're focused on the names of God. Why the names of God? Because God's nature is revealed to us in his name. Now notice I said names, plural. There's one God, but he's so off the charts, one name won't do for him. He really is. He's beyond our English language. See, that's why praying in the Spirit is so important. Because your intellect can't pray for everything you need to pray for. Your spirit can and that's what, that's, see, that's people don't understand what tongues is about. Tongues is about your spirit praying directly to God without your intellect stopping you. Your intellect oftentimes can't, can't handle what God wants to do. It'll just try and reason it away, and you'll get all clogged up in here, but your spirit's ready. Right? That's what praying in the spirit is for. Paul says, I pray uh, with the understanding, and I pray in the spirit. They're both, they're both necessary. So the names of God. In Genesis 2, he's revealed as Jehovah or Yahweh or Jehovah, we say in English. Now this name is very powerful. It reveals his nature. If you study it out, and I encourage you to do so, but it can be, it comes from the, the, the Hebrew meaning I am or to be. I'm the one who is. But more than that, it, 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 it has this aroma of relationship on it. In other words, I am the one who is, I'm the one uh, who 
is to be known. In fact, one rendering says, I am the one who is to become known by you, or I'm the one, I am to be known, and I am, uh, I'm not getting it out now. Um, it denotes a God who reveals himself unceasingly. How about that? His name, Jehovah. In other words, I am, and I am because I want you to know me. I don't know, I'm still not getting it out right. I, I don't know. We're trying to do our best here. I'm the one who desires to continually reveal myself to you. How's that? That's his name, Jehovah. Okay? His very name has this, this aroma of, of relationship. Now, oh, we got to stop. All right, we'll continue next week. Woo-wee! Thank you, Lord. Father, you are the one who reveals yourself unceasingly. You're the one who is and who desires to be known. And we are thankful for our time together with you, Jehovah, this morning. We are thankful that you are passionate about us knowing you. We're so glad to be done with religion. We're so glad to be in relationship with the one who made us. Holy Spirit, I ask you to minister to everyone here. Reveal yourself more. That all of the controversy and debates would be pushed aside and they just take you at your word. I ask you to baptize people with your fire. That they would pray in their heavenly language by their spirits. That all of the manifestations of you would begin showing up in their lives. We're all in. And we worship you and lean our whole person on you. Thank you for victory. Thank you for freedom from every bondage. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.